notice that whenever it's Hajj season or Hajj time or coming up to Eid al-Adha, whenever you see articles explaining what is what is the Hajj, what is Eid al-Adha, why are we celebrating, what is it that we're celebrating? Often what's spoken about is Nabi Ibrahim and his sacrifice, what he sacrificed, but nobody ever spoke about Hajjah. It's like there's this, this really important story with so much gravitas at the heart of our Hajj yeah. and you hardly see her mentioned. I mean... Yeah, I was really searching for reflections on this yeah. uh, and I was quite disappointed that I couldn't find it and so I felt that well actually what about Hajj's sacrifice in the desert of being alone and literally scouring an entire desert to find help what about that what about the power of that narrative and what it means to us why are we called to reflect on this why are we living her experience when we become pilgrims why is it that our Hajj is not complete until we walk in her footsteps what, you know, there's, there's got to be a reason why it's there. So I, you know, I, w- I had a lot to reflect on it and a lot to think about that. And I really wanted it to, to put it into words because that's how I express myself. Salam and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host, Salim Qasim. And once again, I am not joined by Hussam, our co-host. Well, well, part-time co-host because he's just never on here. But as I mentioned last week, I actually forgot to tell him um, that we're recording. This particular podcast, like, it was about an hour before when I realized I hadn't even... Hasib was like, oh, is Hassam going to be... Is he coming in? And I was like, oh, yeah, Hassam. Forgot to tell him. Um, but, I mean, to be perfectly honest, like, half the time when I message him, he says that he's busy and he's working and he's doing photography and he's abroad and whatever else. So, like, I really just saved us the back and forth of me trying to get him to come in and then him saying that he's working and he's busy so yeah like same net result it's fine so anyways coming back to the actual podcast itself um i'm joined this week by mariam hakim um who is a writer for the muslim vibe and has been for a couple of years now um and she initially started writing for the muslim vibe about uh the far right um and has always kind of been really passionate about kind of exploring that space and commenting on it and has written some some really good pieces of content about it one in particular which we will talk about right at the beginning of our podcast um, or of our conversation um, kicked up quite a a kind of storm for us in terms of the fact that um, Breitbart the sort of far right media outlet picked up on it and then kind of ran a couple of pieces of content about it and about the Muslim vibe and how we're we're calling for kind of um, censorship. I don't know if they mentioned like someone rushed in that whole thing, but they were like alluding to that kind of um, that whole kind of situation, which was which was weird and interesting. And there were tweets and random like American troll accounts that were messaging me. And yeah, I mean, that's that's a whole separate story. But uh, interestingly, Mariam went from there to then write a blog about Hajar, the uh, wife of Prophet Ibrahim, and the story of Hajj. Um, And she wrote an article for us about that last year. Again, the link I'll put in the description. Um, And then off the back of that, decided to turn it into a a, a children's book, um, which launched this year. Um, In fact, what's interesting is that the conversation that we had was uh i think a year 
to the day or I mean one or two days off it's, the stars never always quite fully align but yeah it was it was a year on from her publishing the original article on the Muslim Bible. we were then having a conversation about her children's book that she had um, written and got illustrated and published um, and I went to the the book launch uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was really cool to see a project essentially come out from uh, an idea that that happened on on the Muslim Bible on our platform um, so that was that was actually really nice to see. But yeah, we, we talk about the inspiration of the book um, and there's various different elements to it, like the art itself, the, the illustrations that are used are, are very unique and interesting. Um, the title, uh, there's an interfaith element. There's a lot going on there and it's a really kind of well thought out book and a really nicely presented book that I think would be um, great for kind of anyone that's interested. But also the central theme itself of the story of Hajar um, and and the lessons that we can learn there. And I think often the the sense that it's there's a sense that it's very much overlooked. So I would definitely recommend um, obviously getting a copy of the book, but also looking deeper into the story of Hajar and the significance that it has with regards to Hajj um, and the lessons that we can learn. Uh, without wanting to ramble on too much more, um, here's my conversation with Mariam. Salam, Mariam. Alaikum salam. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. You're welcome. Um, so let's start with um, how we first got in touch. Yeah. And you had written content for the Muslim Vibe, um, which was very different from the stuff that we're actually going to be discussing today. Yeah. The stuff you were talking about initially was the far right. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Robinson in particular, who yeah. is now in jail. Um, in case anyone wasn't aware of his current situation. And was curious. Yeah. Um, and the book that he had written at the time, uh, it was like, it was, a, a, I think, a translation of the Quran. And before that, he had prefaced it with like a whole, his take on things. Yeah, I say written, uh, I'd say written in quotation marks. So it was, he did it in conjunction with someone else who wrote their take on what they think the Quran is about. Yeah. And it was just, you know, utter lies and had to be called out for what it was. And so within the article, you were, you were calling for Amazon to ban or, or to stop distributing to, yeah to stop being part of that kind of machine of marketing it yeah. and profiling it and helping it to kind of spread so widely yeah essentially they were integral in helping to market it and bring it to the marketplace yeah. um and that was that article kind of broke down why it was so important that they're more responsible and like ethical in terms of what they choose to profile and they don't just think about profit it's also about your principles yeah um because people are going to be hurt by this and it's about the violence that that it unleashes and, and it's interesting that was some years ago but it, it sticks in my head as one of the standout pieces that we've had on the muslim vibe because of what kind of happened next okay um <laughs> which was the uh so in there you mentioned um that Raheem Qasim from who was the London editor of Breitbart yes. had a book coming out um called Muslim no-go zones I think something it was. like that yeah yeah no-go zones another yeah. myth about Muslims yeah kind of from just... I think Raheem is an ex-Muslim if I'm not mistaken I, I, I could be wrong, actually, I'm not sure it's about that. It, but what happened was he or someone at Breitbart picked up on that line. Yeah. Um, and they then uh, ran a couple of pieces on their um, website about yeah. the Muslim vibe and um, even went to the depths of kind of trying to profile me and dig up any dirt from myself. So mm -hmm. they, for example, quoted a tweet of mine 
um, which was an article I'd written about the Westminster attack. Okay. And I was calling for Muslims to basically stop apologizing for the Westminster attack because we had nothing to apologize for. Um, and they quoted that to show how kind of extreme I was. Yeah. Um, which I was quite happy with in terms of they're getting the message out there further because I stand by what I said in there, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is great. Uh, but they even looked at like my company, ha- my company's house records yeah, um, and really tried to find anything they could. Um, it's typical far right. It was typical far right, but it was my first sort of um, run in with them. Okay. So it was quite... Uh, I, not scary, but it was just it's a bit quite like dark. It's just a bit like, whoa, this is this is a lot. Yeah. Um, but I have you to thank for all of that. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. You you got away with I, it. No, I don't know if I got away with it. I had previous <laughs> altercations which really made me wary. Yeah. Uh, about kind of, but you know what? At the end of the day, if you feel passionately about something and you feel that it's important and it's worth doing, it does. You know, for me, I did need to write and spread awareness about yeah, yeah. you know how um like I said unethical. It was for Amazon to profile such a, a book that it was about promoting violence, promoting lies, promoting distrust between people, mm. between neighbors, you know, essentially it wasn't in any way positive. Yeah, and yeah. I would definitely, and as well as people I know that are Muslims and non-Muslims as well would feel the effects of that. So it's, if nothing's worth doing, if it's not, you know, kind of. But I, I think it was, it was definitely brave of you um, to, to tackle it head on because I don't know many people that don't have an issue with the far right, with Tommy Robinson, with Breitbart, with, you know, yeah. all, all that kind of um, insidious and, and dark space there. Yeah. And, you know, the Islamophobia that comes from it, the discrimination and the violence that happens on a, quite a regular basis, unfortunately, and, you know, attacks on mosques and everything else. We're all anti this stuff. But no one ever, or very rarely do people come out and I guess speak out against it in a public way like that. And I, yeah. I know you've had some sort of issues um, with this and like response to that. Yeah. So I, I guess like credit to you for that, but how? Yeah. Well, it's a form of activism. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm definitely someone that kind of, if I see something that I'm not happy with or uh, think is unfair or unjust, yeah, it's a form of activism. But then a lot of my writing is kind of, a form in some way yeah. of profiling an issue or something that's worth talking about and acting on in some ways. No, it's really cool. And, and with regards to the actual decisions that you took at the time to to talk about the far right, and I know like you've you've got very strong views and you've you know really gone in deep into the kind of subject area and tried to kind of dismantle it and talk about it. What was like? What got you into that? What kind of fueled that? Um, well, I've got an academic background in English literature and media. And even then, when I was doing that, my interest, my like specific interest area was about representations of Muslims mm-hmm. within English literature over the years, representations of women, brown women, Muslim women within media. And so, you know, I guess that kind of helped to cultivate my interest and in my writing about that. Yeah. Um, and then kind of blogging was is another form of, I guess, expanding that um, and taking that forwards and like I said trying to do something about it trying to kind of motivate people and help people to see the connections uh in terms of you know if a book's coming out there it's not just one lone fruitcake as people like to kind of call these characters these Mm. Tommy Robinson's quotation marks Nigel Farage's and stuff but actually there's a whole machine behind them that's helping to propagate um and, and actually prop them up so like the way Amazon was helping to market it, you know, and it's just it's just not right. I've got an Amazon Prime account, you know. I don't I don't like that being part of that kind of system. Yeah. Essentially. So um 
yeah, I, it, it helped my, my academic background. Um, but just being Muslim, a British Muslim in this country, yep. you can't in any way ignore what's kind of like the language that's out there in terms of the politics, mm. the media, the way Muslims are represented. There's like crazy statistics out there that will tell you about how kind of, you know, um, majority of Muslim, uh, sorry, news coverage when it comes to Muslims is usually negative, is usually kind of disheartening in some ways as a yeah. as a young Muslim growing up seeing that. So obviously that kind of motivated me as well to have that interest. You mentioned something very interesting, which I think people sometimes overlook. And that's that these individuals, these instances and everything don't exist in a vacuum. Yes. So it's not it's like connected. Tommy Robinson put this book out. I'm not going to say wrote this book because uh, as you mentioned, it, we yeah. know he didn't. Um, but it's not like Tommy Robinson put this book out and like that's one thing that happened there's so many things around it and this is just kind of one um piece of the puzzle yeah and they all lend themselves towards the kind of dehumanization and the 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 attacks that that we start seeing islamophobia generally and i think often it's not even a case of like of this book in particular led to a violent attack yeah but it's for me that the, the shift is in terms of narrative and sentiment yeah and the more we see out then this book got publicity it was talked about quite a lot at the time but the more negative sentiment and the more negative content around muslims there is out there that's gonna change the joe public's perspective yeah. perception of muslims. Influence, it's like a drip drip effect it's, exactly. it's a form of indoctrination in itself as well in terms of kind of yeah if you're constantly exposed to that and it's normalized then you'll think it's normal to just talk about a certain group of people in a particular way and yeah I guess, like I said, that's uh, my way of um, speaking out against it yeah. uh, is to write. And I was writing about that content and writing about those subjects. And yeah. it's quite controversial. And I think also as someone who's, I had very, I still have young children uh, at the time. It kind of, it puts you in a precarious situation as well. Because when you look at the comments that you get, yeah. it's, uh, I remember on that article as well, on the Muslim vibe, the comments were just like, off the scale. I had a recent, um, I, I had written in the Metro about Tommy Robinson, um, basically saying that, you know, maybe him going through the asylum process in America would be a good thing for him because he might start to sympathize with the people that he he picks on all the time and the people that he talks about, immigrants, basically. Yeah. Um, it was a bit tongue in cheek in terms of yeah, the yeah. article itself. But what was really interesting f for me was that someone went and created a 40 minute video on YouTube like in yeah. response to my article. Yeah. Um, and I, I was amazed. And like, obviously he used the unsavory language when referring to me and, and the piece generally. And yeah. it was like line by line, dismantling everything I said and calling it a lie and whatever else. But when you see that kind of um, anger and hatred directed at you or something that you've done, it, it is a bit intimidating and scary. Um, yeah. And I think that's the... Um, that's the interesting thing about, I guess, engaging in that space. And even after the Breitbart piece, I had tweets and things like that. And and I guess sometimes the approach that people take is kind of put their head in the sand. Yeah. Stay off social media, just, you know, pretend yeah, like it didn't yeah. happen or disappear altogether just because it's too much. And obviously then they ultimately win in some regard yeah. if, if, if you allow that to deter you. We could we could talk we could do the whole podcast on this, but we're not here to talk about that. We, yeah, um, but it's important. It's it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's an important. I guess it, it doesn't really link to to what happened next in our journey with yourself writing on the podcast. Well, it does actually oh, it in does? the sense that 
the thing is, focusing on such dark content, as I put it uh, earlier, yeah. it's important. But it is, as you say, like some people might want to bury their heads in the sand because that's a form of maybe it's a form of self-care for some people. Yeah. But for me, I guess a form of self-care is also not just to focus on the negative, but also to focus on the light and the positive as yeah. well. And that the kind of I did a few articles since with with you guys, but also um, the one I did last year about Hajar yes. and the power of her narrative, the, that female story uh, and the power of women's narratives in general and the sacred feminine. It is linked in the sense that I think it's important to focus on dark and light. And me as an as an individual, I was seeing that, you know, I want to do both. Um, and it's as Muslims, it's important that we focus on the positive heritage as well as kind of dispelling a lot of the kind of the, the myths about us, the stereotypes and yeah. negative stuff. So it is kind of linked. Um, and I have sort of shifted a little bit. I'll, I'll still be writing about all the kind of controversial <laughs> stuff that I'm interested in. That doesn't go away anytime soon. Yeah, I yeah. mean, look who's our prime minister at the moment, you know. There's lots to say. And I said, I've, I've we, we a, can really get into that I've had a fair bit to say about Bojo in the past <laughs> and threads and stuff and him and his letterbox comments. But anyway, the point is, is that, you know, it's important, I think, as um, humans that we always focus on both light and dark. They're yeah. both, uh, you know, both equally important. So you you basically went on to write an article for us about Haja, uh, yeah. entitled Haja the Sacred Feminine. We'll put the link in the, the bio for anyone that wants to read it. Yeah. Um, and in a nutshell, can you summarize the essence of that article and, and the argument that you're putting forward? Because I think it was interesting. Yeah. And at the time when I, when I saw it come in, I was like, okay, this is a an interesting take on on Hajj. Yeah. Um, it was called, sorry, the the sacred feminine of Hajj, I believe. Yes, Hajjah, um, the sacred feminine of Hajj. Exactly. Of Hajj, yeah. yeah. And and you were you were kind of drawing on elements and and reflecting on her story. Yeah. Which again, if you can summarize as well for people that aren't too okay, familiar. Okay, sure. Um, I get, like as briefly as possible. Yeah. <laughs> You've written a book on it, but yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, looking at it from like a very different perspective, at least one that I hadn't previously seen. Um, and then off the back of that, um, we met in January at an event and you mentioned that off the back of that blog and the positive response yeah. it had received and yeah. your kind of thought process evolving, you then said you were going to write a book. And yeah. if I'm honest, I was like, sounds good. I, <laughs> I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but... <laughs> Good, good and then luck. here I am. And, and now here you <laughs> here are. I and and then we were at the, I, you know, my wife and I went, came to the book launch yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, just before Eid. Like just her. before Eid. Um, and it was so nice to see like the full circle from yeah. like the article starting on our website yeah. to you saying, yeah, I'm now going to write a book about it. Yeah, then yeah. you actually writing the book and being able to be there at the book launch. So uh, it's awesome. But let's start from the beginning. So start from the beginning. So in a nutshell, Hajar, um, alayhi salam, um, is basically she's the second wife of Nabi Ibrahim, Prophet Abraham, as he's called in the kind of Judeo-Christian tradition, alayhi salam. Um, and so what the, the part of her story in particular that I was focusing on is the part that um, Muslim pilgrims um, copy within the Hajj pilgrimage. And that is the part of her story where herself and um, her son, who is Nabi Ismail, who grows up to be a prophet later on as well. They are left in the desert. They mm -hmm. are told this is the will of God. 
they don't really know what's going on, but they uh, Hajar puts her trust in in Allah about this. Uh, he knows that she knows that behind the scenes he's working. There's something greater happening, and she has she's in the hadith that um, this story is told through. She says something like, "He will if this is the will of God, then he will not abandon us." And that itself is a kind of great mantra in itself. If you're going through hardship and strife, and so what happens is. She, she does have good, uh, you know, firm faith in God uh, and that there's something greater happening, but she doesn't just sit there and accept her sort of situation. She gets up and she starts searching the desert, uh, the surroundings that they're left in um, for food, for water, because inevitably it runs out. Um, and she has an infant son who's breastfed and he, she wants, obviously, she wants to save him and keep him alive. And so what ha- ends up happening is she runs from one... Uh, a huge hill called Safa, which is in Mecca. Uh, and she runs from that point to Marwa, which is another mountain, mini mountain, as I like to call them. And she does this a number of times to search for anyone that can help or any form of life. Mm-hmm. And so she does this, we're told, seven times and she doesn't give up in between. And if you can imagine, that course, as most pilgrims know, or anyone that's even looked into Hajj, is massive, it's huge, yeah, that yeah. distance. Uh, and the the kind of those huge hills as well are huge as well to, to to run up. So it's quite a task and she does that. We don't know how however long it's for, probably a number of hours uh, in the desert heat and she never gives up. And then eventually she must be so exhausted um, running between these hills. And the reason she runs is because it's a sort of valley in between. So she can't actually see her son. She can hear him, but she can't see him at all. So she runs in between. And then at some point after the seventh run, she sees that there's a, a kind of something happening beside him, a trickle of water. And we're told in the Hadith that um, basically the angel Jibreel comes down and um, intercedes in some way, either strikes the ground with his wing or his foot. We're not entirely sure. Like we kind of, there's some slight differences in narrations, yeah. but the main thing is, is that there's a trickle of water beside her son. And so she sees that and her kind of effort has brought on this, this miracle of God and God grants them this gushing spring, which she's able to turn into a well. And that is the Zamzam well that pilgrims drink from to this day in uh, when they go to um, Hajj and when they go to Mecca. And that is the story in a nutshell in terms of, you know, what is commemorated. Yeah. And that is called the Sa'i, the coursing back and forth between Safa and, and Marwa. That's the story. I think just, um, thank you for that. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was nice and as brief as I had hoped. Um, but what's really interesting, and again, when I, when I saw the article and I was thinking about is that with regards to um, the Sa'i itself, yeah. I went for Hajj about two or three years ago. Amazing. Um, and number one, it's like all covered. So yeah. you don't have the heat there. It looks really different now. It looks really different. Yeah. You've got like the two hills or mountains. You can kind of see them, but they're yeah. glassed up. You can't actually, yeah. climb. you used to be able to climb on them, okay. but now you can't anymore. But it's difficult enough, I would say, doing that. Yeah. Like just performing the Sa'i, because like, especially on Hajj, you're tired and whatever yeah. else. You you can't begin to imagine um, what it was like in the desert when you're actually there panicking or searching yeah. for water trying to figure out what to do in that circumstance yeah. um and also it's significant because i remember at the time of hajj as well i realized and i remembered and, and again like one of the sheikhs was telling us that we're following in the footsteps of hajj yes um and it's quite significant and symbolic on some level that 1.6 billion muslims at once in their life are mandated by god obviously if they have the means yeah. to perform the hajj 
and to recreate the to, to follow relive, the, it, yeah, relive the footsteps of of a woman yeah um specifically because people often look at islam as sort of being patriarchal yeah. and, and being oppressive towards women and whatever else yeah. but this is now a, god is commanding us to do exactly what this woman has exactly, done exactly and to live that experience literally experience what she experienced and obviously she did it on an empty stomach no food no water nothing in the desert yeah, so yeah. what we kind of doing is uh, we're reliving that and the sa'i itself is a, a living memory of her experience what she went through her struggle and that experience and there is a i think in islam as well there is a, an importance placed on experiencing things so it's not just enough to kind of think about being poor and hungry you actually have to fast you have to go through that experience it's not just enough just to kind of think about what hajar went through it's mm. actually what we need to do is relive her her experience going through it going through that hardship um yeah uh, it's important obviously it's been placed at the heart of our hajj yeah that the sayi the only thing is i and the, what motivated me to write that article is yeah. that i find that there isn't a lot of reflection that goes on um around it and i had heard of the story but kind of not in in all my kind of years of being an adult and growing up muslim i hadn't really heard much reflection going on about mm. it much so how how did you how did you come to reflect on it initially like what what triggered that so what triggered it actually is is i wrote a piece many years ago about uh maryam and nabi isa and the 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 islamic kind of quranic birth story of jesus okay. and i was writing about that and this is another woman in the quran in our uh, tra- islamic tradition our sacred sources have detailed her story about her being in the desert alone with her infant son and i talked about the the relevance of that narrative and someone asked me oh i'd love you to write about hajar actually yeah. this is another mother and you know in the desert and i i had already been thinking about that story a while um and what happened each year as well after having written that blog um i always notice that whenever it's hajj season or hajj time or coming up to eid al-adha whenever you see articles explaining what is what is the hajj what is eid al-adha why mm. are we celebrating what is it that we're celebrating often what's spoken about is nabi ibrahim and his sacrifice what he sacrificed and you know us as pilgrims we would go around the the um kaaba and we do tawaf but nobody ever spoke about hajar it's like there's this this really important story with so much gravitas at the heart of our hajj yeah and you hardly see her mentioned i mean yeah i was really searching for reflections on this yeah uh, and i was quite disappointed that i couldn't find it and so i felt that well actually what about hajar's sacrifice in the desert of being alone and literally right scouring an entire desert to find help what about that what about the power of that narrative and what it means to us why are we called to reflect on this why are we living her experience when we become pilgrims why is it that our hajj is not complete until we walk in her footsteps what you know there's there's got to be a reason why it's there mm. so i you know I, w- i had a lot to reflect on it and a lot to think about that and i really wanted it to to put it into words because it's how i express myself so that was kind of you know the thinking behind yeah Uh, writing and where, where did you get get those sources from you said that you you often and i i i share your experience of like you hear a lot about the the sacrifice yes and i think often because like the animal sacrifice that we do the qurbani exactly, that muslims yeah. do is is also often talked about you have yes. charities and it's thing, visible and it's a visible thing yeah. right it, it's like a it's a very i would say memorable 
image of Hajj from like an internal but also an yeah. external perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, you have human rights charity. I mean, sorry, animal rights charities talking about yeah. it and all this kind of stuff. So it, it generally get, gathers a lot of attention. Yeah. But the story of of Hajar, yeah, um, doesn't. So where did you go to kind of deep further, like yeah. to dig further, to dig further. on, on this topic? It's based on a hadith, and yeah. also there is a reference in the Quran. Uh, it's it's uh, basically the reference in the Quran is I'm gonna get it right. I think it's Surah two or one five eight, and that is um, basically where it says Asafa and Al Marwa are symbols of Allah. Uh, so that's pretty powerful in itself. That. God is telling us in the Quran that these two mountains and what took place between them is a symbol of God itself, yeah. a symbol of Allah that we, we should really reflect on. There's other um, quotes as well that say, you know, we should reflect on symbols of Allah. Like, I'll, I'll pull that up another time or I'll put it in, you know, yeah. uh, put the reference out there. But it's in the original blog that I wrote for the Muslim Vibe. Um, and then also there's um, a prayer by Nabi Ibrahim in the Quran again. Um, and this is his prayer for his family. And it's quite, it's, it's quite sweet. It's endearing in the sense that it shows how much he obviously cared for them. It's not that he just deposited them in the desert and left. He obviously was concerned for their welfare, but mm. knew that in his heart, this is the, the, the will of God. Something else is happening behind the scenes that he doesn't want to kind of challenge. But that, that's also in the Quran as well as a reference and I encourage people to to read that and um again I'll put it in it's probably in the blog as well yeah, we I can't remember everything in the, in the description, yeah off the top of my head fine, yeah. but that's him praying for his family and that's him asking God he's saying like I've settled my descendants in this barren valley you know Lord please look after them please um provide them with f food fruits uh help people to turn towards them so essentially help people to find them and to save them and people did alhamdulillah yeah. get onto that uh in a bit because the Durham tribe uh, were able to find Hajar and Ismail through, um, they use these birds that essentially uh, go to a water source. And so once the Zamzamwell was there, they were able to be found by this Durham tribe, these Durham people were able to come to them mm -hmm. and they sought Hajar's permission to use that well. Um, and then also uh, Nabi Ibrahim is also praying for, um, for them to establish prayer. And when you reflect on that, and you reflect on what this this site later becomes. It becomes the heart of you know where we have we do our hajj. It's the Kaaba is there now, mm. and so he was praying all those thousands of years ago. Please help them to establish prayer. So there's something much deeper that's happening, and so there's a lot to reflect on. And so those sources from the Quran I found were very important, as well as like I said, the story itself is found within a hadith, and we could put all the the kind of references yeah, yeah, yeah. to this uh, and that hadith details what happens and the story that I mentioned earlier so it's all it's all out there it's just who's reflecting on it and like I said there's sometimes you know you'll find some scholars will reflect on it sometimes but it's almost like it's lost mm. whereas a blog you know uh, and other people have done blogs as well credit to them um, a blog can capture that but it only captures it for an adult audience and I, I one of the things that I felt was kind of missing after doing this blog is it's great to have all that positivity and it's great to have a great, you know, people thinking about this. Yeah. What about children? Shouldn't they be thinking about it from an early age? And shouldn't children be normalized to this narrative of, you know, a powerful female lead? You're, you're doing my job for me. Am I? Tra transitioning <laughs> transitioning from one part of the conversation to the next. Well, what I was going to ask you, and, and you've obviously answered in part there, is that 
okay you, you you've done the blog what then made you think to kind of um do it for a younger audience yeah. and and of essentially you- it's that it's that you know if if well my blog one of the things it covered is um the problem of kind of misogyny uh and patriarchal bias and patriarchal societies what they end up doing is pushing women's narratives out to the periphery into the sidelines so even when you have a story as deep and powerful as Hajar's that is at the heart of our is is our fifth pillar in of our faith yet there's hardly you know there's there's not that much remembrance that goes on around mm. it other than the physical travel um, you know say that happens and how many people reflect on it afterwards like when you go on Hajj as you you might know and Umrah I keep hearing from people that go there it's like it's very exhausting there's a lot to take in there's a lot to reflect on so um, the say itself may even get lost with within the greater yeah. the Hajj. I feel like what's, sorry to cut you yeah, off no but what's interesting is that Allah has put say there as part of the Hajj He's given it kind of time and place. And prominence, yeah. And prominence. But we as Muslims have kind of marginalized yes. it and, and, and forgotten or not drawn on this particular aspect and, and pondered over it, like, you, yeah. like you're saying, right? Because I feel like it would be harsh to say that, oh, we've just like forgotten and left it by the wayside because it is there. Yeah. But it's, it's unfortunate that maybe people don't draw on the lessons that they always should. Yeah. Um, and, and this is the thing. It's like people talk about going for Hajj. And um, I think there's a hadith about uh, fasting as well. That yeah. if at the end of Ramadan, if all you're left with is an empty stomach, yeah. then you, you've you've lost. Like you haven't performed Ramadan mm. correctly. Yeah. Um, paraphrasing the hadith. So yes, no one call me out on that, please. <laughs> but essentially, the, the essence of what it's trying to say is that like, yes, Ramadan is about fasting. It's a physical activity, but there's huge spiritual um, realities to it as well. Which if we're forsaking... Because our kind of, in our essence, it's just a physical act of fasting, then it's pointless. Yeah. Walking seven times, I can do that on a high street in London. Exactly. I don't need to go to, to Mecca, right? But the whole pilgrimage and, and that whole element to it is so important. Yeah. And then also that specific thing, like God has ordained all of this for us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he says multiple times in the Quran that there are signs in, in everything yes. for the people who reflect. Reflect, exactly. Um, and, and, and that's so what, this is what this yes. is about. This is about calling people to reflect uh, and inshallah helping them to reflect on this narrative that's, like I said, it's almost like it's hiding in plain sight. It's there, it's, it's given so much prominence and yet it hasn't been kind of spoken about or, you know, really drawn out and kind of reflected on as much as I felt like in my lifetime it mm. could have. And so my kind of, um, my thing in the the article that I wrote for the Muslim Vibe was uh, what I was calling for is um, essentially we, we need to reflect better on this narrative. Yes. We need, there's, there's so much in there. There's so much wealth of kind of, uh, you know, morality within that. But also if you want to fix a problem of sexism or misogyny or patriarchal bias, there's a saying, I think it was the Romans that said it, which is um, prevention is better than cure. So essentially you need to start with kind of young Muslims and young people and kind of young hearts and essentially preventing them from sidelining that narrative in the first place. So if it's normalized to them to have this um, story within Hajj that they reflect on, that when they think of Hajj, they also think of Hajr, of course, and they think of the Sa'i and they think of all the kind of the, the rich morality that's within that and the inspiration that's within that, then it's normal for them to grow up and to value that. And I genuinely believe, and I put it in the, the blog as well originally, that if, 
if a people or a society can value women's stories and v- women's narratives, they can value women as well within themselves. You know, mm. it's really important that we recognize that like link. There is a cause and effect going on here. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And and with regards to the book itself. Yes. Um, a couple of notable facts. I, I, I might just list them out and then you can touch upon each one of them if that's all right. Yeah. So the, the first thing is the title itself. Yes. Um, the title, which I always get the wording wrong, is... An Ocean in One Drop. Is it an entire ocean or just an no, ocean? An, ent- an ocean in one drop. An ocean in title. one drop. Yeah. Um, that comes from a Rumi quote. Yes. So I thought that in itself is is interesting yeah. and, and I guess offers like a, a level of depth beyond just... You know, I, I like it when there's a bit of meaning behind yes, things. Yes, yeah. Um, which is really cool. The second thing which is very striking when I think people pick up the book is um, the artwork. Yeah. Um, really, really, really well done. And I mean, congratulations yeah. for that. I know you had yeah. artists and Leila illustrators. Leila and Hamida. Shout out to them. Shout out to them. Based <laughs> in Saudi Arabia. Well um, done, it's, it's really nice. And then you've also, um, you've added, I think it's uh, verses from the Bible, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, at the end, yeah. At the end of the yeah. book. Alongside the Quran, Alongside so there's an interfaith the, element. Yeah, and and so it's it, what I really like about it as a as a whole. As, as I said, I was at the at the launch the other day, and you were reading to the kids, and you had like activities for them, yeah. which is good for them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they enjoyed <laughs> they that. Loved it. But from like a from from my perspective, um, and um, you know what I'm excited about, I guess when when my daughter's old enough to be able to understand what's going on in the book. Right now, she just likes the pictures. Yeah. Um, but is all of these different elements, like again, talking about Rumi, like you were talking to the kids about Rumi, yeah. asking them, have they heard of Rumi? Exactly. Do you know who he Their is? Parents did, which is great. Which, yeah, which is good, yeah. and, and introducing that. But then also, like from my perspective, I've I've seen a lot of people in the kind of kids' book space, especially um, in the kind of Muslim sphere. And whilst there are some great examples of really, really nice, well-produced books with great artwork, there are some really, really bad examples as well, and yeah. the bad examples outweigh the good. Okay, yeah. Um, so it was. I was very happy to see the kind of the, the quality of the book and not only the, the words and like the, it, it, it does rhyme, right? Yeah. It's, I wasn't it's, imagining Yeah, that. no, you weren't. Okay, cool. So <laughs> it's poetic. It's, yeah, it's poetically written and yeah. it's really nice. Yeah, in, in couplets. So it's like, it's very easy to read. Yeah, and so it helps with literacy for, for children. Okay, but, that, yeah. that I wouldn't know, but yeah, makes sense. It helps basically <laughs> them kind of the rhyming and the meter, the, the rhythm is like, it's to help them with the reading as yeah. well. And it helps certain messages stick in their head and like the points of reflection to kind of be easy and roll off the tongue really. Yeah, but then also the, the quality of the product, which was great. Yeah. Um, because it, as I said, too often, it's like the only resources we have are just a bit naff. Yeah. Um, so it was really I good. I grew it, up with kind of it's just like a dearth in children's literature yeah. islamic children's literature when i was growing up there wasn't much there's now alhamdulillah there's better now but again we can always strive for kind of like you know mm. what essentially what it is is it's more you know there's and there's i've seen a rise in this more kind of sophisticated book so yeah. dealing with sophisticated themes and narratives but for children because it's not that things need to be dumbed down for children children get it they they just you know, it just needs to be made accessible in terms of language. To, yeah, but they, them, yeah. they're quite complex themes. I think Rumi as well, in terms of being, you know, yeah, his sorry, philosophy. Sorry. I, I think let's let's start and address all those different okay. things now. So yeah. over so, to you. So Rumi, in terms of his philosophy, it can be quite complex even for adults to get. Yeah. Uh, so 
you know, how do you bring it to children? And that quote, I really love, like, so basically the full quote is, you're not just a drop in the ocean, you are the entire ocean in one drop. And for me, like, I loved that quote that's attributed to him and essentially uh, kind of shows his philosophy quite well, I think, in terms of within each and every one of us is the DNA for the entire cosmos. We're, we're all connected to something much more greater and bigger and like a kind of a chain of good and life that's taking place circle of life you might want to call it but basically it's it's like being connected to something much bigger and yeah. um much more spiritual and deep and profound and i felt that it's a nice way to capture Hajar's story and uh, in, in terms of when we think about this zamzam water that pilgrims can still drink today and still access today and within each drop of that water contains this entire history or, or narrative about Hajar and this heritage that we should really kind of connect to, that we, by drinking the Zamzam water, we connect to that heritage. So I like the way that that quote was able to fit very nicely with communicating that kind of philosophy of being connected to Hajj's story, the power in that story, and how Hajj uh, and Mecca were established. So so with um, the, the Zamzam well, uh, which Hajar and Ismail are gifted, I guess, or granted by God, um, what happens is, like I said, I mentioned it earlier, that so the Jurhan people come and there's these they, people settle there. And this is the beginning of Mecca itself. This is what happens. This, this land itself becomes popul populated and starts to grow. Um, and then um, basically it's, it's the beginning of what we see now. Yeah. And we're connected to that, what took place. And that I really liked how that Rumi quote yeah, it, it helps us did to, the job, to see that. Yeah, it did the job. <laughs> exactly. To simplify. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so then next was the art. Yeah, the artwork. So um, so like I said, the illustrators, Leila and Hamida, um, uh, they, they, they're the illustrators for the book. Hamida's very great at, you know, watercolour. And so it's what I liked about using the watercolour medium is it, it fits very well with the aquatic theme of this book. You know, the Zamzam water, it flows very nicely. What was great actually is both, I think Leila has uh, gone on Hajj before and Hamida actually midway through the production of this book went on Umrah, which is like a great blessing because essentially these are illustrators that have been to that very place that they're, they're depicting. Yeah. Uh, and Alhamdulillah for that, really, really grateful. But also within that, I was very keen to have, there's this um, indigenous art form, this Gulf female Arabian art form, which is in now found in modern day Saudi Arabia. And it's called al Qatal Asari. And it's featured throughout this book. And what I love about that artwork, that art form, that I, when I first learned about it is that, so the head of, the female head of a household will start off this pattern on her walls within, within her home. And then she'll invite other females within the household to add a layer. And it's like collectively they're adding a layer, adding a layer, they're building like this beautiful artwork. And it's really colorful, it's really bright and vibrant, which I love anyway. Um, and so it's very aesthetically pleasing, but also it has so much meaning um, in terms of it being a female art form that collectively women make together. Yeah. And I love, I loved that about it. I really wanted that featured within the book because of course this book takes place in Mecca, which is in now modern day Saudi Arabia. And there are many women that have worked on this book, not just myself. Um, although I did write it and obviously I did all the kind of the brief for how I wanted it to look. And I just, I, I really wanted to highlight that artwork, that art form. Uh, and like I said, the deeper meaning behind it. Um, it's, it's a form of heritage that m most people don't, they don't, I think there's growing awareness around it. And hopefully this book can help to do that, can help to kind of 
make people aware of it. I think what's really nice about it as well is that considering that the, the subject matter is in Saudi Arabia, exactly. um, you've gone for a kind of cultural art form that's from Saudi it's indigenous, Arabia. Yeah. It's indigenous, right? Yeah. It's, got it's that female kind of, owned and led. And your designers, so your illustrators are oh, female yeah, as well. Exactly. Um, it's it's as I said, the, the the final product, and I hope people are able to get their hands on it. Yeah. Um, we'll see that it it has like I mean the, the art is very unique. I didn't yeah. know this until you kind of mentioned yeah. it. Yeah. But it, now I'm gonna have a look back because I I I couldn't quite put my finger on the style. Yeah. Because I've I didn't know it was an indigenous exactly, form. Yeah. Of, a lot of people, when they've seen it, they're like, this is really pretty, but what is it? I yeah. can't quite figure it out. Is it henna? What is it? It's like, like a no, bit abstract slash. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, I like the gold as well. You've got some pages with like yes. some gold. foiling. Gold foiling. Uh, that's there. all about helping to the Zamzam water really to stand out. And yeah, for yeah, young yeah. children to really, when they have an experience with this story through this book, they're seeing it as something that's beautiful and positive. And, you know, the other thing about having Rumi, uh, you know, that quote from Rumi as well is that he... If you look at his history of who he was as a person, he was an imam, he was an Islamic scholar, he was so knowledgeable, he was a Hafiz as well, I think. So he's so uh, kind of, Islam and Islamic sources and texts were so intricately tied up with who he was in his poetry. And yet when we see his kind of poetry recirculated today, and it's great that celebrities are recirculating it, but it's almost like the Islamic heritage is stripped out of it. And so what I wanted to do as well is to bring that back to kind of to, to young Muslim children to understand that this is also, you know, connect with your heritage through this mm. book and that the poetry of Rumi is very much steeped in, uh, you know, an appreciation of Islamic yeah. texts and sources. Um, and so there's a lot of geometrical artwork as well featured within the book. Um, yeah. And again, it's like to help children who are growing up in an age where Islam is so negatively represented in the media, but it's to help these children to, to have a positive it, you know engagement, engagement and it, yeah, yeah, yeah interaction yeah. with islamic heritage they can see the beauty that exists there's yeah. there's so many centuries of great work and artwork and you know hope out there for them to to essentially connect with inshallah no, that's fantastic and the final thing was about the interfaith element yes yeah, uh, yeah which again was very interesting okay just because looking at it often it's like this is our story. This is yes. our narrative. Yeah. We don't need to worry about anyone else. Yeah. Um, but even when you mentioned at the beginning, you mentioned Prophet Ibrahim, and then you said known you as Abraham, Abraham as well yeah. in other traditions. Yeah, it adds it adds an element. I, I mean, I'll ask you why. Yes. But I guess for me, it adds just an element of like also this is like c contextual, like you know, yes, the, the other it's a bigger picture. Yeah, the other religions also have these individuals. Their stories might differ, yeah. but we they still have the same respect that we yeah. do. So, so what was the thinking behind having it in the book? Essentially, it's a, it's an opportunity to build bridges uh, for young children, uh, young children reading it. So it doesn't just have to be Muslim children that read it. It could actually be non-Muslim children learning about our heritage and our tradition of the Sa'i and Hadra's narrative, but essentially it's an opportunity to bridge build and for um, children to see, and families actually, that there's a much bigger picture where this is kind of connecting to. Yeah. Ha uh, Hadra's narrative within the, the Bible, so there's a slight difference in that the Sa'i is our unique Islamic kind of heritage, and that is our unique part of her narrative that we, um, we've really owned in terms of how it's in integrated into uh, the Hajj. Um, and in the Bible, the narrative slightly differs in that. So um, she's in the desert with her son, Ish Ishmael, as he's called in the Bible. And, you know, God intercedes through um, the angel 
what's he called? Gabriel. Mm. That's it. Um, Jibril, as he's known to us. Um, and they ask her to open open your eyes, Hagar, as she's called. And in front of her is is gifted this miracle again. This but this well. So it's a bit more formed by that point. Whereas in our in our um, heritage, it's almost like she works for it. The power of what she does brings forth this miracle. Um, so there is a, a connection there. There's a similarity. So this Zamzam well, it's not called Zamzam well in the biblical tradition, but there is a well there and this this water exists and it's mm. given to them as, as a miracle to save them in the desert. So I felt that, first of all, when I saw it, it was like a eureka moment. Like, wow, alhamdulillah, I didn't even realize that the, the Bible also details this narrative, the Zamzam water exists. If anything, for me, as a believing person, it confirms that, you know, that um, the truth of that narrative for me, that the biblical um, scripture that um, talks about her her story, it doesn't contradict it massively at all. In fact, it complements it. So it's great to, I thought, to include it. I had a number of kind of uh, scholars and sheikhs that also kind of looked over the text whilst it was um, in in the making, whilst this book was being produced, um, and they also agreed as well that this is this is a good thing. This is a good point to first of all, it increases religious interfaith religious literacy amongst young children and families but also it helps us to see how connected we are and it's an opportunity to actually kind of like i said bridge build and dial have yeah, dialogue yeah. and talk to others about this this narrative um because unfortunately sometimes uh i realized that because i actually went to a church school when i was growing up that was my nearest school and um basically i realized that the the sort of interfaith uh literacy that I have isn't always shared amongst other Muslims and you know I found myself at times like quite disappointed that I found some Muslims were questioning you know do these people worship God you know what do they worship you know what is it that they do should we even read their scriptures you know should we value yeah. it in the same way so I was a little disappointed of that in my life but essentially how do you turn that into a positive I really wanted to include it within this book you know that there's, there's something much greater that we're part of also I have a, a kind of a background in writing a lot around interfaith and kind of being a bit of an interfaith activist in that sense, kind of, you know, writing about the connections yeah, that we yeah. all have. So again, it kind of ties with my own personal interests. It's it's interesting that I, like, uh, whilst you were talking, I was just thinking back on my own personal experience. Yeah. And I remember after like certain religious education lessons at school, um, talking to like my Christian or Jewish friends yeah. and like almost comparing notes yeah. on our uh, accounts of historical figures. Yeah, yeah. Because I didn't realize, like, I, I remember this one in particular. Yeah. I remember the first time I found out that um, Christians also believe this stuff. And and it, it has, especially at a young age, it has an element of, like, um, making it a, a real thing. Because, you know, sometimes you hear, like, your Muslim stories, yeah. quote-unquote Muslim stories that you hear in Madrasa, yes. at the mosque or whatever, and you're like, oh, this is just, like, our weird stuff. <laughs> You know, you know what I mean. As a kid, this is how this is, I think how a lot of people a lot of people might think. And when you're suddenly hearing it from other faiths and other traditions, you're like, oh, actually, this is a real person, and this story did really happen. Yeah. Obviously, historical accounts are going to differ. Yeah. But the fact that like these things aren't just like our weird traditions, like these are there, especially in the Abrahamic faiths. Yeah. It, it I think for young people, it does it does um, offer something quite unique. Yeah, well, it widens perspectives a little bit and yeah. horizons, especially if it's an opportunity for people that do read it to have dialogue with others around it. You know, yeah, yeah. it connects us. And there was one last thing I wanted to ask you about. You mentioned it briefly, so I thought I'd just expand on it. 
um, about it, the book being checked by uh, an Islamic um, yes. scholar or authority. Because yeah. I think that's important for a lot of people to, to, to know understand that. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, the great thing is I have, I had a number of uh, imams that were um, happy to kind of review the text, give suggestions, make suggestions. Um, and I think, because I always value the authority or, and, you know, support of people who are learned, you know, at the end of the day, we're all as Muslims called to kind of learn for ourselves and to seek knowledge 100%. Like we have that in our kind of, in our traditions. But at the same time, although I'm referencing and researching this, I also recognize that I can't just do things on my own. And so it's important to kind of draw upon that kind of pool of um, essentially scholarship and expertise, exactly. And Alhamdulillah, like recently, we just had approval from Islamic Affairs, the um, government department in the UAE, that's also so the content's been checked and I've heard from uh from other distributors there that actually there are many books children's books that actually don't get approval because it's seen as some of the content is seen as innovation or it's seen as kind of you know too 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 much of a deviation or something so um I'm actually quite pleased that everything I'm saying is essentially there's a general (laughs) consensus that this is this is permissible it's approved alhamdulillah we have that approval so you know, watch out, Middle East. Here we come. Gonna, inshallah, go go <laughs> That's there. Awesome. I, I I did want to ask you. I guess the the, the final thing to wrap up um, is uh, what next? Do you have any other books lined up? Yes, I'm actually really glad you asked that. Um, alhamdulillah, inshallah, uh, you know, this book will be part of a wider series, wise women series. Inshallah, that will focus on um, essentially women narratives from Islamic sources, sacred sources. Uh, female narratives and like kind of the important and all of them are interfaith figures actually now that I think about it um uh and the the kind of power of those narratives and what's uh what we can draw from that and what children can reflect on it um and what I liked about this uh book uh is not just kind of like it's a strong female lead and that this is really important actually there's a bit of a trend going on right now I don't know if you've noticed in children's literature with profiling kind of women's uh, stories. So there's yeah. like, you know, her story and there's fantastically great women that change the world and there's good night stories for rebel girls. All these kind of books are making a bit of a, having a bit of a surgence, having their time. So essentially, I guess this book fits within that trend, but it's not just a trend for us. It's actually part of our heritage. Mm. So it's it's kind of quite classic and it's, you know, it's drawing up on that heritage. Um but also one thing I wanted to mention about this book and inshallah, and at least two more in the series, it also shows mothers in a different light. Now, I don't know if you kind of can draw back to the sort of stories that you grew up with, but a lot of children's stories, the mothers are either quite passive or they're sort of in the distance or they're dead. They're not even there. They're just kind of not even in existence. And what what I loved about this story is here is a mother essentially that is saving her son in the desert from death this is the crux of the story and we we are profiling her story in this book um but the fact that the, what what's really beautiful about it is the fact that it's a mother that's saving her son and is the protagonist is the lead is the one doing the action um and i i hope inshallah that this book and and a couple of others in the series will be able to kind of break the mold a little bit in terms of how mothers are represented in children's literature because uh, it's, it's not been a pretty picture so far to date <laughs> so yeah inshallah there'll be a few a few more in the pipe work watch this it, space guys it sounds like you've wow got stories. your work out for you 
Inshallah. Inshallah. Yeah, but what what we'll do is we'll we'll put a link um, in the description to where people can can buy the book. To you mentioned Wow Stories. Is that the so Wow Stories is a children's imprint that I'm printing it under. Okay. Um. Uh. And you can buy it from a a couple of online kind of sources at the moment. But I'm working on distribution basically in the UK and beyond. Inshallah. And like I said, Middle East. So we'll we'll put links in the description to where it is available. Yeah. Um, Great. And. That's it from me. Thank yeah, you very much for your time. Follow it on social media, really. Yeah, no, at Wow Stories uh, on Twitter and Instagram. And my personal uh, uh, handle is at Mariam KS Hakim. You have to think about that. It's a, bit a, lot, it's a long one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> at Mariam KS Hakim. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll put the link to that in the description as well. Thank yeah. you very much for Thank your time you. today. God bless. Uh, appreciate it. Asalaamu Alaikum, everybody. So there you have it. I think the lesson to take from this podcast is that if you write for the Muslim vibe, you will go on to publish books and become a children's author. So if there's, I mean, if you need any more incentive, then there you have it. Um, but no, I, I, to be honest, I, I, I'm in awe of the fact that, you know, as I mentioned, when I met Mariam in January, she was like, oh, do you remember that article I wrote? And it was, you know, in August uh, the year before. So you remember that article? Yeah, so I've been thinking about it and I'm, I'm going to be writing like a children's book. And I, I, as I mentioned, I thought, yeah, great. Good luck with that. Um, but she went off and did it. And the finished product is amazing. Um, do try and get your hands on a copy because it's, I think for kids, especially people with kids, especially it's, it's a really, really good resource um, to have. And it's a really nice book that they will enjoy and I definitely feel like we need more people um, publishing high quality, um, you know, well illustrated children's books and everything else. So, yeah, credit to her. And I, I look forward to seeing um, what else she does with her, her new uh, publishing imprint. Um, actually, on that note as well, when I spoke to her um, at the book launch, I was asking about it and she mentioned and I probably should have brought it up here, but she went on like a self-publishing course i think ihrc um the the people that are currently distributing the books they had like a a course that they were running her one day course and she just kind of went on that and then took it from there and she's really a sort of one woman machine that's just gone out and and done all the hard work found the illustrators um got it published you know working on distribution marketing and you don't always need the kind of uh it's nice to have support and backing and and whatever else but sometimes grit will and determination um can get you a long way that's it for another muslim vibe podcast as always i say every week uh please do subscribe and if you have subscribed already we would very much appreciate uh five stars on the podcast app or your wherever you get your podcast basically and yeah That's everything. Thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you next week, inshallah.